Happy President's Day. Uh, we've been quite fortunate in the United States to generally have been led by some very, very good presidents. Not all of them good. Some of them you've probably never heard of. I mean, Pierce. Uh, you know, there are a lot of presidents that will not go down in, in history, but uh, some of the most remarkable men, and hopefully soon I'll be able to say men and women, have sat in the Oval Office and been president of the United States even before the Oval Office was established. And uh, um, as you may know, having watched this show, I have a lot of memorabilia from uh, some of the great presidents. But uh, today on President's Day, I want to talk to you about the presidents I actually have met and, and knew and worked with uh, over the years. I've met uh, every president but one, I think, since... Um, John F. Kennedy, uh, who was the first president I ever voted for. I met Richard Nixon. I met John F. Kennedy. I met Lyndon Johnson. I met Gerald Ford. Uh, I met uh, President Carter. I wish him well in his uh, uh, final days at the hospice. He's made a decision to not seek medical uh, treatment. He and I disagreed about a great many things, but I wish him well. I met President Reagan. Uh, I met and worked closely with President Clinton. I met and advised um, President Bush, uh, the second, um, not the first. Um, I met and worked with and advised President Obama. I worked with and represented uh, President Trump. And I worked with, uh, didn't represent, but worked with um, President Biden, not while he's been president, but um, in, in the time he was vice president and, and before that. I've also met um, most of the candidates who ran against these uh, presidents, um, I met Hubert Humphrey. Um, I met George McGovern. I met uh, uh, Robert Kennedy. I met and worked closely with uh, Ted Kennedy. Um, I worked and worked closely with uh, Hillary Clinton. I met Bob Dole. I met uh, Senator McCain. I met... Um, uh, Senator Romney was one of my students. Um, I met Al Gore, represented um, people in the case involving Gore versus Bush, Bush versus Gore. So I've been in the Oval Office on numerous occasions. I've been in the private residences. I sat on Abraham Lincoln's bed. I didn't uh, sleep in it, but I sat on Abraham Lincoln's bed next to the president of the United States and we schmoozed. Um, so um, for me, President's Day has a special, a special significance. I, I'm not going to engage in the historical uh, game of trying to rank uh, presidents. Uh, the presidents I've known have varied, obviously. Uh, Richard Nixon uh, deserved to be kicked out of office. He committed impeachable offenses and would have been impeached had he not uh, resigned. Um, he... Um, did some very good things. He opened up relations with uh, China. He did good things during the um, 1973 Yom Kippur War. Um, he very smartly picked Henry Kissinger to be his um, uh, chief advisor on foreign policy and then his secretary of state. But obviously he will go down in history as uh, one of the most disgraced uh, presidents, um, the only president to have been uh, removed from office by the pressure, not by the way of Democrats, but of Republicans. Uh, he was forced out of office because Republicans came to see him and said, 
if you don't leave, we're voting against you. We're going to vote to impeach you and remove you. So your only option is to resign, which is which is what he he did. Um, I remember vividly the day that John F. Kennedy was uh, assassinated. I remember it because I played a tiny little role, not in the assassination, God forbid, but in notifying the justices and the Supreme Court of his um, of the shooting. We didn't know he was dead at the time. I was a law clerk for Justice Goldberg. He was the junior justice. Um, our secretary found out about the shooting before anybody because her husband was in um, the military and in the communications division of the military. And he actually heard the shots fired. And um, our secretary knew about it. And she told me to go and tell the justices who were in conference. And we were not allowed to break into the conference for any reason at all. But I was told to go and do it. And I knocked on the door. Justice Goldberg yelled at me, Alan, you know, you can't come in here. And I said, Mr. Justice, the, the justices will want to know that the president of the United States has been shot. And then uh, several of the justices, majority of them, came into my little cubicle. Why? Because I had a television, black and white television. I was uh, left over in my office from having watched the World Series a, a month or, or so earlier. And so the chief justice and Justice White and Justice Brennan and uh, a number of other justices watched as Walter Cronkite announced with tears in his eyes that the president of the United States, John F. Kennedy, was dead. I remember Wizard White, uh, who was a very close, intimate friend of, um, of John Kennedy, crying. And uh, the chief justice told us we had to stay in the building as law clerks while the justices had to go to the secret locations that were set out in case this was a Lincoln-type plot that would involve assassinations of more than just the president of of the United States. Um, I met Gerald Ford um, after he was president and we had a dinner with my son and his wife in Palm Springs, California. And he told me that the most important thing he did in his presidency was to pardon Richard Nixon. And the second most important thing was to appoint um, John Stevens to the United States Supreme Court. John Stevens, who turned out to be fairly liberal, but um, um, uh, President Ford was very proud of that appointment. Um, I met uh, Jimmy Carter when he wrote to me and asked me for my advice on criminal justice matters. He had just read an article I had written in the New York Times, and he asked me if I would serve on his task force on, on criminal justice. I didn't know who he was at the time. Um, he was an obscure governor of, um, of Georgia. But I knew his uh, domestic aide, um, Stuart Eisenstadt. And uh, President Carter then came up to Harvard and Stewart introduced me to him. And I did work with him uh, very closely. In fact, my name was on a, a short list. I don't know how realistic this was on a short list of potential nominees to the Supreme Court that was prepared for um, President Carter. He never got to fill a nomination on the Supreme Court. He's the only president in recent years who never got to make a nomination to uh, the Supreme Court. I met Ronald Reagan, not when he was president, but in the interim between the time he was governor of California and the time he ran for president of the United States. Uh, he was such a nice man. I really uh, liked meeting him and spending some time uh, with him. I spent a lot of time with Bill Clinton. He used to vacation on Martha's Vineyard and stay at a house very close to where we lived. And uh, we partied with him. We had dinner with him. I advised him. Um, and... Um, um, was part of uh, the broad 
a defense team when he was uh, improperly and unconstitutionally impeached. Um, I didn't appear in the Senate, but I gave him my advice and wrote and wrote memoranda and also gave him advice on other things, the Middle East, particularly in other areas as well. Um, I met with uh, President Bush the second, not the first. I never met President Bush the first for some reason, but I did spend some time with the second President Bush, including in Israel, and gave him some advice uh, on, on on the Middle East. Um, I spent a lot of time with President Obama. Of course, I knew President Obama as a student at Harvard Law School. His mentor, Charles Ogletree, was one of my close friends, and we shared a suite of offices. So this young guy, Barry, uh, Obama would hang around his office, usually wearing a leather jacket and smoking a cigarette, uh, waiting for uh, Ogletree to come from his class. And so I had occasion to schmooze with uh, with Barry Obama uh, a number of times. And then, of course, when he became president, he sought my advice on numerous occasions, particularly regarding the Middle East, um, called me when I was in Israel, uh, invited me to the Oval Office, um, invited me to the White House on numerous occasions, invited me to meet with his uh, staff. Once I was meeting with his staff on the Middle East and suddenly he popped in and spent a half an hour with us. Um, and um, so I, I, got, I got to know him fairly well. My relationship with him suffered greatly. Uh, at the end of his term, when he did not veto the uh, very one-sided anti-Israel Security Council resolution, basically declaring that the Western Wall, the holiest place in Judaism, was legally occupied territory, along with the access roads, the Hebrew University and Hadassah Hospital. We've never spoken since. And um, I've said publicly, I'm glad I voted for Obama the first time, but I wish I had voted for Romney the second time. I think he would have been a better president than the second term. Uh, Obama, it's the closest I ever came to voting for a Republican for a president. And I have to admit, I never have voted for a Republican for for president. Um, <clears throat> I've, of course, as you all know, met Donald Trump, President Trump. I represented him on the floor of the Senate. I was the oldest person in the history of the United States ever to represent a president um, in an impeachment uh, proceeding. It was a nice parenthesis on my life. The youngest person ever made a full professor at Harvard University and the oldest person ever um, to defend a president in an impeachment of proceedings. Um, who knows? Uh, maybe I'll have a chance to defend another president in an impeachment proceeding in years to come. Maybe I'll be even older. Doubt it. I think this is probably the last time I will have an opportunity to defend a president. I'm proud of what I did. Uh, I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't support him, but he was unconstitutionally impeached. And he had the right to have a constitutional lawyer defend him against an unconstitutional charge. I did it. If any of you want to see my argument, it's it's 66 minutes long. You can get it on YouTube. Just uh, do Dershowitz Senate speech. And um, you will be surprised how low key and scholarly it was. People have attacked me for it, but nobody has ever actually seen it and pointed out things in it that were wrong. They've just attacked me mostly for defending him. Um, they didn't want him to be defended, and uh, they would probably have attacked John Adams for defending those accused of the Boston Massacre, but I'm going to continue to defend people. Um, I met um, 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 Biden on numerous occasions. Uh, uh, one interesting incident was um, I was in the White House, and um, my phone rang, and uh, 
it was my grandson. And he called to tell me he had just been admitted to Harvard College, which I was very proud of. And I happened to be with Vice President um, uh, Biden at the time. So I said, Mr. Vice President, um, my, my grandson has just been admitted to Harvard. He, he says, give me the phone. He grabbed the phone and turned on the video and said, hey, Lyle, good job. Good job. I'm so glad you got into Harvard. Now be smart and go to the University of Delaware. It's a much better school. Well, that's that's um, uh, President Biden. You're a very, very nice guy. Um, you can argue uh, about uh, his greatness. Uh, as you know, I think he's done a very good job. I think he was exactly the president that was needed following President Trump to normalize, to bring people together. Um, people uh, think he's um, not good, done a good job on the economy. You have a right to that view and you have a right to vote against him. Um, um, as long as nobody tries to stop him from running or tries to stop President Trump from running by improper uh, means. Um, and so, um, you know, uh, let the election go forward. Um, I don't know who's going to get the Republican nomination. My sense is that if uh, Nikki Haley and a large field of people run against Trump, that is, if there are four people running against Trump, uh, Nikki Haley and um, Mike Pompeo and DeSantis and uh, uh, who knows who who else, uh, uh, Pence, uh, Trump walks in uh, without any problem and wins the nomination. He'll get a plurality uh, in a field of four or five. Would he win a one-on-one -on -one, uh, against any of those candidates? I don't know. Polls uh, differ uh, on that. Uh, can he beat um, um, Joe Biden, if Joe Biden runs, um, not if not if Biden is healthy, um, not if Biden looks strong and uh, decides to really go for it, run for a second term. I don't think we're going to see a difference in the outcome of the two elections. Well, those of you who think that Trump won uh, may, may take that as good news. Look, I have news for you folks. Trump did not win that election. Biden won the election overwhelmingly, both in the popular vote and in the electoral vote. Was it a perfect election? Of course not. Pennsylvania uh, should not have been allowed to extend voting time after what the legislature set out. That was unconstitutional, but there weren't enough votes cast during that interim prime to affect the outcome of Pennsylvania. And even if Pennsylvania went to the Trump camp, it wouldn't be enough to change the outcome of the election. So um, Biden was legitimately elected, is the president of the United States. And we'll see an interesting uh, contest next time around and see who who um, who wins a fair and square election. Um, we've had fair and square elections. I think the closest election, the one that was probably least fair and square was Bush versus Gore. I do think that um, that Gore uh, more people intended in Florida to vote for him than intended to vote for for Bush. But uh, because of the butterfly ballot and a few other um, problems, um, um, the vote tabulations, which was stopped by the Supreme Court improperly, in my view, resulted in um, Bush being elected president and Gore, like a gentleman, conceded defeat. Um, should he have? Uh, should he have taken it further? He lost in the Supreme Court. Wasn't much else he could do, and so he did what he believed he had to do. He conceded defeat, unlike um, President Trump, who was to this day really not not conceded uh, uh, defeat. So, you know, those are the presidents um, I've known. Uh, the candidates I've known, um, the ones I know best, are the Kennedys. Um, 
I was actually working on a gun control measure for Bobby Kennedy uh, the day he was killed that night in Los Angeles after winning, winning the primary, shot by a gun that would not have been available to his killer had our gun control measures been adopted. I worked closely with Ted Kennedy, both as a lawyer uh, in Chappaquiddick and in his campaign to try to wrest the nomination away from Jimmy Carter in 1980, he failed. He failed to do that. I worked on Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign, got to know her quite quite well, and uh, still regard her as a friend. I don't know whether she regards me as a friend. Once I defended President um, Trump, a lot of people who used to regard me as friends now uh, regard me as something else and, and kind of disloyal to the Democratic Party. And they're 100% right. I am disloyal to the Democratic Party. I am not loyal to any party, never will be loyal to a party. I'm loyal to the United States of America. And I will always vote for the candidate I think is best for for America. Um, I got to know um, uh, Bob Dole because his wife was in my class. And when he was um, in the Senate, he um, had me come to hearings and sought my advice on a number of things. Really, really nice and very funny, very funny man. Um, so, you know, those are the people I've known in my in my years in in, in politics who were the presidents I wish I knew? Wow. <laughs> you know, George Washington was just a spectacular human being, certainly not, you know, brilliant like Jefferson and Adams and Hamilton, but leadership qualities, uh, which were quite remarkable. You know, when he fought the Revolutionary War, he sent messages to our troops. I know I've seen some of the letters um, um, uh, that basically said, look, the British are fighting dirty um, and they're killing civilians. We're not going to do that. Basically, we're going to win the Revolutionary War without committing any war crimes, without doing anything wrong. And that was the cleanest war, um, America's victory in the Revolutionary War. And then, you know, his presidency was mixed. It did pass the Alien and Sedition Acts, which is uh, really a, a, a scar on America. But uh, he was the father of the country. Uh, John Adams, again, um, uh, not a perfect uh, president, Alien and Sedition Acts and other things of the kind, but a uh, brilliant, brilliant person. Um, the idea of him together with Jefferson writing the Declaration. Jefferson was a very young man. Adams was more mature. Uh, Jefferson did most of the drafting, but Adams did a lot of the editing. The two of them in a room together must have been quite remarkable. The one from Virginia, one from Massachusetts, uh, writing um, uh, different styles. Uh, Adams was the orator and Jefferson was the writer. And uh, together they produced this uh, magnificent document, which has inspired countries throughout the world to declare their own to declare their own independence. One of the people I would have liked to have most met, uh, who was not a president and really was never a candidate, was Alexander Hamilton, uh, the smartest stupid man in in the history of America. Smartest in the sense of he saw, like nobody else saw, what the future of America was economically. Uh, and in other ways, the stupidest man in American history is uh, allowing himself to be put into a duel with Aaron Burr uh, just a short time after his own son was killed in a similar duel. Uh, what a dumb decision. How the world, how America might have been different if Alexander Hamilton hadn't accepted that uh, invitation to duel. I have the original newspaper accounts of all the letters back and forth between Burr and Jefferson and, 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 and Hamilton, rather. And you read these letters and you say to yourself, it was so easy to avoid that duel. 
all one of them had to say was, whoops, all right, yeah, yeah, I said it and I meant it, but, um, uh, you know, let's just, um, let's just forgive each other. Uh, anything like that could have called off the duel, but, but it wasn't to be. And um, Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton, who died the next day. What a, what a, what a tragedy, what a terrible thing. I, I think I've told you now, I, have, I am distantly, 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 distantly through marriage and through marriage, marriage, and distant, distant, distant. Now related to Alexander Hamilton, one of my wife's cousins, it's, it's as distant as you can get, one of my wife's cousins uh, married a direct descendant of Alexander Hamilton. So, well, Dershowitz Hamilton connection. No, it's uh, it's it's not uh, it's not real, but uh, it's it actually is real, but it's not a realistic. We we have no no relationship beyond having gone to the wedding. Uh, okay, so happy happy President's Day, and now let's uh, turn to some uh, letters and uh, see what people have to say about our current president and our past president and maybe our future president. Oh, first let us see. So you agree with any effort to keep Trump from running again? What are you, a fool? I told you I wrote a book called Get Trump. I told you that I'm totally opposed to any effort to prevent Trump from running. I want him to run and I want to be able to vote against him. Uh, I had to listen to this three times to see if I heard you correctly. And apparently you should have listened the fourth time because you didn't hear me correctly. How can you even imply that Trump shouldn't be president? Well, of course, I imply that. Uh, I just didn't want him to be stopped from being president by unconstitutional or unlawful means. I want him not to be president because the people of the United States decide that there is a better person to vote for. That's my goal. Okay. Uh, well, this is a nice one. Um, Dershowitz casually adds, I wrote a short play about this. What I said is I had written this play um, about the Leo Frank case. And so one of my fans says, this man is a genius. He's a Renaissance man. He's like a heterosexual ver version of Leonardo da Vinci. Well, thank you very much. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, I did try to write a play. Don't know how good it is, but um, uh, he... Uh, uh, it's in my book. It's in my, my, my new book, which isn't out yet, called uh, Dershowitz on Killing, How the Law Decides Who Shall Live and Who Shall Die. I'm now finished books 51 and 52, and I'm about halfway through book number 53, so I keep busy. Uh, great post, Professor Dershowitz. Since lawyers are first officers of the court, their first oath is to the court, not the client. You know, that's just not true. Uh, the first oath is to the client. Uh, I don't regard myself as an officer of the court in the sense that um, I have an obligation to the court that transcends my obligation to my client. My first obligation as an officer of the court is to be part of the adversary system. And being part of the adversary system means uh, representing your client zealously. And a lot of judges don't like me for that reason because I'm very, very tough in the courtroom. I don't back down. I don't easily accept uh, threats or intimidation. And I put my client's interests, legitimate, ethical, before the interests of uh, the court or anything else. But I appreciate, I appreciate your letter. Professor, you're one of a kind, <laughs> incredible intellect. I know you say you don't have heroes, but if anyone can come close to it, it's you. Thank you. Thank you for your dedication trying to make people think. Well, that's been my job. 
for the last 60 years to try to make people think uh, it's getting harder and harder because minds are closing, because it's been very difficult to get people to change their minds. Uh, the purpose of this podcast is not to get people to change their minds, but to get people to think analytically and to give them a different perspective. Um, some of you write back and appreciate that perspective. Others of you just name call and uh, say, no, 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 uh, we won't listen to you if you don't think Trump is the uh, greatest president um, since Washington. And I don't. So uh, if you don't want to listen to me, that's up to you. Professor, the FBI has been called out for targeting radical Catholics. It seems there's a secular attack against people of faith. The right to go free exercise of religion is being reduced to freedom of worship. General applicability laws. Do you believe the right of free exercise of religion is in danger? Look, the First Amendment strikes an incredibly delicate and difficult balance. Free, free exercise of religion on the one hand, but no establishment of religion on the other. So you do have to have uh, neutral uh, principles. If you give preference to religion, you're establishing religion. Religion deserves no greater preference under the Constitution than other philosophies. Um, you have the free right to free exercise your religion, just as you have a right to free exercise of your philosophical uh, beliefs. But if you have a law of general application that says, you know, you can't kill children, um, and somebody says, no, I read the book of Genesis, and Abraham tried to kill Isaac, and so I'm going to try to kill my son. No, you can't do that. You can't say, well, it's in the Bible, and I'll wait for God to stop my hand from going down. No, there's a law of general application. It's called the law against murder. And that law uh, supersedes any claim of religious faith. You know, it becomes complicated when you get issues like um, the vaccine. Uh, if the people have religious objections to the vaccine, I challenge anybody to come up with a legitimate religious objection to vaccination. You can come up with scientific objections. You can come up with political objections, ideological objections. But what religion would prevent you from getting a uh, vaccination? That's absurd. Every religion says choose life. Um, and um, if, if the doctors tell you that getting a vaccination is likely to save your life, why can you have a religious objection against that? I, I just don't buy it. I've never bought it. I've always thought that uh, many people use religion as a cover for their uh, political or ideological views, but um, vaccination is not one where it really works. Um, Here's one. The story of the murdered girl, uh, Mary Fagan, and Leo Frank has been told completely differently, and the black man never admitted any such crime. I deeply respect Mr. Dershowitz, but I wish he would have told all the different sides of the story. There are no different sides of the story. The black man did confess. His name was Conlon. He was confessed to his lawyer. His lawyer's name was Powell. Uh, it's in uh, the book, um, uh, You Can't Go Home by Powell. Um, it um, is in the pardon documents. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt that uh, Leo Frank was framed and no doubt that he was lynched improperly. You know, even if you don't think he was framed, you can't justify his lynching. Um, the governor had commuted a sentence to life imprisonment and he ended up being taken out of the prison and killed and lynched. There's only one side to that uh, story. And uh, I told that side correctly and I tell it correctly in my play, which you can read because it's um, in my new book, which will be out in a month or so, called Dershowitz on Killing, um, How the Law Decides Who Shall Live and Who Shall Die. Thanks for the explanation of lawyer-client uh, privilege. I'm sure there's more to it, but now I have a better understanding. Well, that's what I try to do. That's what I want to do. I just want to get you to 
think more about these issues. Lawyer-client privilege is very difficult. It, it requires striking a balance. Uh, a lawyer shouldn't be able to keep from the police information that could stop serious crimes. On the other hand, if you have to defend, if a person has the right to defense, he has the right to tell a lawyer about past crimes. And so the balance is a difficult one. And as long as I make you think about it, I, I'm happy. Okay. Professor Dershowitz, regarding Gertrude Stein, I agree she should be subject to the same objective scrutiny as other historical figures. I could well be wrong, but my guess is that Stein's collaboration was pragmatic self-preservation, resulting in her not being stripped of her wealth and being put on a train by Nazi occupiers. You may have acted differently had you been in her shoes, Professor, but I suspect I would have done the same. No, I don't think so. I think you would have acted differently, too. First of all, uh, Gertrude Stein had a chance to leave the way her brother did. Her brother left, went to Stanford University. Uh, Gertrude Stein had opportunities to come to America. She chose to stay in Nazi-occupied Vichy. She chose to nominate Hitler for the Nobel Prize. She, uh, by the way, uh, her brother was able to take out uh, his art um, and, and, and bring it to the United States. I know, I've seen much of it. Um, and, and she could have done the same thing. Uh, she chose to stay and she chose to collaborate with people uh, in the Gestapo. It wasn't for self-preservation. She could easily have preserved herself and Alice Toklas by simply leaving. But no, she was part and parcel of the Nazi machinery. And I don't think you would have done that. I surely wouldn't have done that. And so I hope everybody has a great, a great President's Day. And we'll be back with whatever is in the news tomorrow and the day after. Be well.